Uh, I went to a small liberal arts college where students majored in some uh, pretty basic stuff like math or biology, history, literature. Uh, so I'm always amused when I run into students these days who are able to, to, to major in very specialized subjects. I, I was talking to one student and I said, so what's your major? And he said, turf management. I looked at him and I said, you, you can actually major in dirt? Like you could take four years of classes about dirt and he assured me that dirt is a very complex subject. So I went to Google and I Googled weird college majors because I want to I wanna know what else is out there. And so here's some of the things I found. You could major in cannabis cultivation. I'm not making this up. You could major in pot. Yeah, you could major in comedy, which I think would be a hilarious major. Come on, come on, come on. You know, you could major in bakery science and eat your homework. You could major in puppetry. You could major in nannying. You could get a four-year degree in Beatles history. And I'm not talking about the bug. This is not a biology class. We're talking about uh, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. You could get a degree in the Beatles. And suddenly, turf management doesn't sound so strange to me. In fact, turf management is kind of the topic of our study in God's Word today. I've called this sermon the soil test. The soil test. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And you're going to need the outline in your program today because you're going to be drinking from a fire hose, okay? We're going to cover a lot of material, and this will help you follow along and walk away with some application to your life. Uh, we're beginning not just a four-week study in the Gospel of Mark, uh, although it will be that, we are also beginning today a major uh, church-wide, Christ community, church-wide initiative across all four campuses from adults to children to get people reading the Bible on a daily basis, reading the Bible on a daily basis. So if you're following along in your outline, here's the first point. I want to talk to you for a moment about the number one contributor to your spiritual growth. Okay, the number one contributor to your spiritual growth. Uh, I've told you before about a recent survey that was done in a thousand churches around the country. So a thousand churches were selected, vibrant, healthy, growing churches, and the people in those churches were asked the question, what has been the number one contributor to your spiritual growth? Now, the people who answered this survey represented every, you know, every spot along the spiritual journey, uh, some of them still exploring the faith, not yet committed Christ followers, some of them brand new believers, some of them have been walking with Jesus for years. What has made the number one contribution to your spiritual growth? And the answer surprised the researchers, because the answer was not the weekend services of their church. It, it was not participating in some sort of a, a small group. It, it was not serving in an area of ministry. It was not concerned for the poor. The number one contributor to spiritual growth was daily reading and applying the Bible. Daily reading and applying the Bible. Now, that shouldn't have been so surprising because this is actually what the Bible itself says about spiritual growth. Keep your finger in Mark chapter 4, but I want to read another passage to you. This is written by the Apostle Paul to a young mentoree friend of his named Timothy. 
Paul tells Timothy how important scripture is in his spiritual development. Paul writes this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. He says, Timothy, the holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Stop right there. He says, Timothy, this is where it all begins. I mean, if you're exploring the faith, if you want to know how to begin a relationship with Jesus, start reading the Bible. Because the, the Bible will introduce you to Christ and tell you how to begin that relationship. Paul continues, verse 16, he says, Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy, you need God's word to teach you uh, godly principles. You need God's word to bring you back to God's path when you've wandered off of it. Timothy, you need God's word to equip you for good works so that your life is one of purpose and mission and significance. See, the Bible is of paramount importance in our spiritual growth. And some of you right now are saying to yourselves, well, Jim, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, why do you think we're here? See, this is a weekend service at Christ Community Church. We are here to get more Bible in our lives. Or why do you think we're in a community group, one of Christ Community's 300 community groups, where a small uh, nucleus of Christ followers, six or eight of us get together every week, or maybe we're in high school and we gather at a, at, at a, at a house group, or we're in middle school going to Genesis, and we're, we're getting together with a small band of brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're opening God's book and reading it and studying it and applying it to our lives. So great, that's fantastic. Okay, we absolutely need that weekend teaching and the study that we do in community groups. But those avenues are no substitute for the daily reading of God's word that we do on our own. You know, let, let, let me use an analogy here that I think will, will be helpful, and I'm going to go back to that turf management uh, analogy. Uh, this past summer, I had a lot of landscaping done on my home. And so as the landscaper was getting in his truck to drive off, the very last words from his mouth, he reminded me one more time. He said, don't forget to water everything. Don't forget to water. So he left and I thought to myself, how do you know if you're watering too much, you're, you're watering too little? And so I Googled watering. So you've probably discovered by now, I Google everything, all right? So watering plants. And here's what I discovered. If you got bushes, big plants, and you hit them with a spray nozzle, the, the kind that you use to wash your car, and you just kind of give them a spray for 30 seconds and everything looks wet and the ground around them looks wet, that's not the best way to do it. Okay, you need to soak those plants. So you go out to the hardware store and you get what's called a soaker and you put it on the end of your hose and you lay the soaker at the base of the plant and you leave it there for a period of time. Now you see where I'm going with this analogy. I mean, it's, it's great if you attend Christ Community Church on weekends and if you're in a community group, you are getting a blast you're getting a blast of God's word every week. That helps. But if you want sustained spiritual growth in your life, you've got to soak. You've got to get a little bit of the Bible in your life every day. You get it? Good. You know, we are launching this church-wide initiative today against all, across all four campuses and all age groups to challenge you wherever you are on your spiritual journey to begin this habit of reading and applying the Bible every day. 
Now, we've done something similar to this in the past, trying to get everybody reading the Bible. The last time around we did this, uh, we promoted a Bible reading schedule put out by an organization called Scripture Union. Uh, Scripture Union has been around for several decades. It operates all around the world, and many of you responded. In fact, hundreds of people responded. We know this because of the number of uh, devotional, Scripture Union devotionals that have gotten picked up at Resource. And you, you get one of those every quarter, and it gives you Bible passages to read. Some of you have, have had it sent electronically to your phone or to your tablet. And so hundreds of you have gotten on board. You're reading the Bible every day. And today, we're going to pull a switcheroo on you. So if you don't like change, I apologize ahead of time, okay? But this is a good change. This is a good change. We, we decided to design our own Christ Community Church Bible reading schedule. We're calling it the Bible Savvy Journal. You've probably seen tables in the lobbies at your campuses with this book on it. The Bible Savvy Journal. Why are we doing this? Well, we're leaving the Scripture Union schedule and designed the Bible Savvy schedule for, for several important reasons. First reason is this. Uh, we heard frequent complaints from people about some of the quirky things that the Scripture Union schedule did. So what I mean by that is you'd be reading in a book of the Bible and all of a sudden they would skip several chapters. So you go from Deuteronomy 11 and the next day you read Deuteronomy 15. And you're like, what's happened to chapters 12 to 14? Or you're in the middle of the Gospel of Luke just recently and all of a sudden the next morning you get up halfway through Luke and they've moved you to Nehemiah. You know, or the schedule would take you five days through one chapter of the Bible and whenever this would happen, people would come to me with complaints and... We actually called Scripture Union at one point and we said, you know, so why do you do this stuff? And there was not a really great explanation, so we said, we're going to design our own schedule. And so Pastor Clayton, my fellow teaching pastor, who, by the way, had a baby on Friday. Actually, yeah. Actually, Michelle had the baby, okay? So, but Clayton designed a reading schedule that makes sense. In fact, if, if you'll look in the first pages of this Bible Savvy Journal, he gives seven reasons as to why he organized the reading material the way it's organized in the Bible Savvy Journal. And I got to tell you, it's brilliant. It's really brilliant. Second reason we decided to come up with our own Bible reading schedule is that the Scripture Union schedule is not kid-friendly. And we wanted to design a Bible reading schedule that could be used every day by every member of the family. Uh, in fact, one of our goals with this Bible Savvy initiative is to encourage families to share what they're each getting out of the Bible every day. And the, the best way to make that happen is if all family members are reading the same passages. So we not only designed our Bible reading schedule to fit every age group in the church, we also designed a special journal for kids. So if you're middle school, high school adult, you get this journal. If you're a grade school kid, you get the epic journal, which is a lot cooler than the Bible-savvy journal, but it covers the same Bible passages. Something else we've done, we retooled our midweek program for kids. So hundreds of kids come out on Wednesday night to Christ Community Church across our four campuses. And we have redesigned the program so that it tracks with the Bible reading schedule. What kids are going to be taught on Wednesday night is going to reinforce what their families are reading from the Bible during the week. And not only that, we asked uh, Randy Isola, our children's ministries pastor, 
to write a two or three page description of how moms and dads can best use this journal. You'll find it in the Bible Savvy Journal, how you can use this with your kids. We want to do everything possible to ensure the daily Bible reading becomes a family value. Is that cool? Okay, let me give you one final reason why we decided to make the move and create our own Bible reading schedule. We want to wean you off the Scripture Union devotional. Okay, so Scripture Union not only tells you what to read every day, there's this one-page devotional essay with some nice thoughts about the passage. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with it. But we just don't want you to become dependent on some devotional writer's insights and applications. We want to teach you how to come up with your own. So what's the old adage that if you uh, give a person a fish, you feed them for a day, but if you teach them how to fish, you feed them for what? A lifetime. So we want to teach you how to fish. We, we want to teach you how to go to Scripture with no help from a devotional guide just to get your own insights and applications that are going to be much more personal if you come up with them yourself. Friends, I'm passionate about this. In, in fact, several years ago, I wrote a four-book, four-short-book set called the Bible Savvy Series to teach people how to do this very thing. In fact, during the course of this four-week series that we're in right now, at, at, at Resource, at each of our four campuses, we're going to sell the Bible Savvy Series 25% off because we just want you to get it. Now, now, the method I teach in the fourth book, the book called Walk in that series, is a method that's been around for years, probably centuries. A simple four-step method that I call coma. And that brings me to the second point in your outline. What is coma? Coma is a four-step method of Bible study. And if you pick up a Bible-savvy journal today, there's several pages in the journal that describe coma in detail. There is also an outline of coma inside the back cover of this Bible-savvy journal. So what I decided to do today in this sermon, I thought it would be easiest to teach this if I just used our scripture for today and walked you through the four-step C-O-M-A method of Bible study with respect to Mark 4. Now you may be wondering, why Mark 4? Why did you choose Mark 4? Well, if you start the Bible reading schedule this week in the Bible Savvy Journal, guess where you begin to read? You begin to read in the Gospel of Mark. You'll be reading chapters 1 through 4. So you're, you're going to get to chapter 4 on Friday. So today's sermon is going to give you an introduction. It's going to reinforce some of what you're reading this week. In fact, if you come back next week in this series, I'm going to teach another passage from Mark, and it's going to be one of the passages you'll be reading the following week. And we're going to do that for four weeks straight. We're going to reinforce your Bible reading with what we teach at the weekend service. In fact, spoiler alert here. We, we decided, why don't we do this two or three times a year? Two or three times a year, we'll do a series called Bible Savvy, where we just drop into wherever the reading schedule is at the time, and we teach a series on that. So Clayton and I were sitting at a coffee house, we were talking this through over the summer, and I said, well, let's do another one of these Bible Savvy things in February. It's good. I said, where, where are we reading in February? And he looks at the schedule, and he says, we're reading in O. Oh, Leviticus. <laughs> and then he looked at me and he said, that's the graveyard for Bible reading plans. 
And I said, you got it, bro. I mean, you know, how many of you in the past, yeah, I'm going to read the Bible. You read Genesis. You're going strong. You read Exodus. You're losing a little momentum. You come to Leviticus, dead stop, right? You throw in the towel, the Bible reading graveyard. So we're going to do a series in February that gives you instruction in the book of Leviticus as you're reading Leviticus. And get this, in ancient days, Jewish parents taught their children. First book of the Bible they taught their kids was Leviticus. In fact, when you were three years old, you started to memorize Leviticus. So central is the message of Leviticus to a person's spiritual life. You're going to find out why in February. So back to Mark 4 and coma. Okay, the C in coma stands for context. Context. You'll have a better chance of understanding the Bible and applying it to your life if you know the basic historical context behind whatever passage you're reading. Now, now you may be thinking to yourself, well, you know, that's great. So how do you, you know, how do you get this historical context? Like I didn't study biblical studies in college. My major was cannabis cultivation, you know, <laughs> or turf management or whatever. One of the tools we encourage you to purchase for yourself is called an NIV study Bible. NIV is the version that we use here at Christ Community Church, a study Bible. In my opinion, this is like the best version of the Bible you can own. Uh, I've got a, an NIV study Bible at home. I also have the NIV study Bible app so that it goes with me on my phone wherever I go. And, and it, you know, this is not a cheap sort of thing to buy one of these. It's going to set you back like 10 foo-foo drinks at Starbucks or a pair of jeans at Gap, all right? But friends, if the Bible is the number one contributor to your spiritual growth, it's worth getting a good Bible, isn't it? Okay, so you're, you're reading in the Gospel of Mark. Here's the benefit of the NIV study Bible with respect to context. You're going to start reading in Mark's Gospel. Before every book of the Bible in the NIV study Bible, there is a one or two page introduction that will give you the historical context of that book. You'll find out who wrote it, who they were writing to, what was going on in the world at the time, what topics, what themes are covered in the book. So before you read Mark chapter 1 tomorrow, Make sure that you read the introduction in your brand new NIV study Bible, all right? So that's context. Now, what I'd like to do, I'd like you to turn with me, if you're not there already, to Mark chapter 4. Let me read the opening two verses to you. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Uh, by the way, when Mark says the lake, he's referring to the Sea of Galilee. It was actually a freshwater lake about the same size as Lake Geneva up in Wisconsin. He says, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, I'm going to stop right there because I, I, I want to tell you something about this word parables. Jesus taught the crowd many things by parables. Verse 2 says, parables were Jesus' fa favorite form of teaching. What's a parable? Well, the original Greek word that gets translated as parable in our English version, verse 2, literally means something thrown alongside of. 
Something thrown alongside of. So when Jesus is trying to communicate spiritual truths, he throws alongside of those spiritual truths some story, some analogy, some, uh, some metaphor, some word picture to illustrate the spiritual truth that he's communicating. These are parables. Parables were drawn from everyday life. You know, they would be a story about a, a wedding banquet that was thrown or a farmer who was harvesting his crops or a dad who had a rebellious son who ran away from home. Uh, topics everybody could relate to. But here's something interesting about parables that I want you to understand. Even though Jesus used parables to reveal truths, in another sense, Jesus used parables to conceal truth. You say, what do you mean to conceal truth? Well, these nice little stories were so entertaining that if a person wasn't really interested in spiritual truth, they would listen and they would say, oh, that's a nice story, and then they would walk away. They would be entertained by the story, but they would completely miss the underlying spiritual truth. You following me? See, I, I run into this all the time in my preaching. Because when I'm teaching biblical principles, I'll often illustrate them with a personal anecdote. And what I've discovered over time is that people will come up to me and, and, and they will say, oh, I love that story you told about, sometimes this will be years later, and they'll remember the story. I love that story about the time your dog got skunked, or I love that story about when you were in that little pup tent out on the island and the thunderstorm hit, or I love the story about the bet you lost to your buddies because you couldn't get the girl to kiss you on the first date, and some of you forgot that story, right? You remember the story, do you remember the spiritual truth? In fact, did you get the spiritual truth? See, in, in Jesus' case, one of the reasons people didn't get the spiritual truth is, is because a lot of people didn't like Jesus, especially, especially the religious leaders of the day. In, in fact, Bible scholars say that many of the, of, of the parables were told in an atmosphere of confrontation and conflict. And so these people weren't really listening for spiritual truths. They, they were content to listen at a superficial level and then sort of shake their heads and walk away. So in a sense, Jesus' parables actually concealed the truth from these folks. They didn't have a receptive spirit. Okay, they weren't hungry for spiritual truth. Now, on the other hand, there were those who did get the message because they were hungry for spiritual truth and they were receptive. And even if they didn't get it, what the parable did, it stirred something up inside. So they, they take Jesus aside afterwards and say, what did you mean by that? Because they wanted to know. This happens every weekend at Christ's community, right? Some of us come hungry for spiritual truth. We're going to dig in. We're going to find it. And some of us come and we're, you know, our eyes easily glaze over. We're disinterested. And we'll walk away and maybe you laughed at something was said or you thought there was a good story thrown in, but you completely miss the spiritual truth. So that's what parables are all about. Now, this is, uh, we've talked about the sea of of uh, coma, the context, the, the backdrop of the passage, the historical backdrop. But now I want to move on to the O in coma. Okay, O stands for observations. When you read a passage from the Bible, you should be making observations about what you read. And in the Bible Savvy Journal, there's a little space, it's about two, in two inches every day, where you could write down your observations. Now, you ask, what should I be observing? 
Okay, what is it I'm supposed to be looking for? And so we spell out in the, in the coma method four things to look for. So as you're reading the Bible, you want to be looking for, you, you don't want to just read a passage and walk away and not have it change your life. So four things you can look for, and we've used another acronym here, T-R-T-S. Treats, find some treats as you read God's word. The first T stands for theme. What is the basic theme of the passage you're reading? When you're done reading, try to sum it up in one sentence. What was the passage all about? What was the gist of it? And here's where your Bible helps out because in most every Bible, there is a bold heading over every passage. So I just read to you verses 1 and 2 of Mark 4. What's the bold heading over Mark chapter 4? Call it out. Got your Bible open. The parable of the sower. What's Mark 4 about? The parable of the sower. It's about a farmer who goes out and sows seed in four kinds of soil, as we're about to find out. So summarize the theme of the passage. Here's another kind of observation to make. That's the first T. Then there's R. R stands for repeating words or ideas. Now, you've heard me say this repeatedly, that as you're reading Scripture, if you come across a word, a significant word that pops up two, three, four times, circle it. If you come across an idea that pops up two, three, four times, underline it because God's trying to get your attention with that repetition. So to show you how this works, I'm going to read the parable. And when I'm done with the parable, then Jesus gives an explanation. I'll read the explanation. I want you to listen for repeating words and ideas. Now, I thought about just doing this and not telling you what they are. See if you could find them. But then I thought, we don't have time for that. So I'm going to give them to you ahead of time. So here's three repeating words to look for. The word listen or hear, you're going to find that repeatedly in this passage. Hear, 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 listen. The word seed, the farmer goes out to sow seed, you're going to hear that repeatedly. The word word, you're going to hear repeatedly. So, so circle those if you brought your own Bible. And then a repeating idea you're going to hear is this idea about soil. Now, the word soil itself is going to be used repeatedly, but you're also going to hear soil referred to where, you know, the word itself is not used, but there are four kinds of soil being described here. So let me read to you the passage, and I'll try to put the accent on the right syllable, okay, so that you'll, you'll know when we're hitting those important words. We pick it up, Mark chapter 4, verse 4, or verse 3. Listen. There's your first one. <laughs> Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The path is the first of the four soils. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, second kind of soil. Where it did not have much soil, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns. Among thorns is the third kind of soil which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them, what? Hear. Drop down to verse 14. This is the explanation of the parable. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. 
But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Did you get them all? What significance does this have? Well, the repetition is emphasis. So Jesus wants you to get listen and hear. As I told you with the parables, there were plenty of people who would listen at a superficial level. They wouldn't get the spiritual truth. And so he's challenging his listeners, no, really listen. Listen for the spiritual truth that's beneath the surface. What about the word seed? Well, this is what the farmer is sowing, but later on it's defined as the word, the word of God that gets sown in people's hearts. Jesus wants you to get that, that God is sowing his word in your heart. What about the four kinds of soils? Well, there are four kinds of responses to God's word. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. That's the R of treats. Those are the observations you're making. Are there repeating words or ideas? Now, I'm just going to touch lightly on the second T and the S of treats. The second T stands for truths about God. And this is really uh, something great to grasp. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you say, well, I got nothing out of that passage, ask yourself the question, yeah, but what did it tell me about God? What did I learn about God, the Father, Son, or Spirit? There'll always be something there. And then the S stands for something striking, because three out of four times when you pick up the Bible and read it, something's going to jump off the page at you, something you never saw before, something that maybe it's strange. You've got to look at the footnote in your NIV study Bible. Okay, something striking. So coma, the C stands for context. What's the historical background for the passage? O stands for observations. When you're done making your observations, you record them in that two-inch section in your Bible-savvy journal. And by the way, in some passages, you could probably make 15 to 20 observations, but you got two inches, and we do that intentionally. Uh, you know, th the best way to do this is just to take two or three or four of the most observations and write them down. Some days you're saying, wow, I only came up with one. Fine, write it down. Now you're ready for the M of coma. You've made some observations. The M is to take one of those observations, only one, just one, and ask yourself the question, what is the message? What is God trying to say behind this observation? Okay, you try to put it in one sentence. You know, almost like a wall plaque. What would be the wall plaque if we made a, a timeless principle from this passage into a wall plaque? What would the wall plaque read? So I mentioned to you a moment ago, one of my observations is there are four kinds of soil, four kinds of responses to God's word. What's the message God's trying to get across? Well, God's trying to get this message across. You need to do a self-evaluation. What kind of soil are you? What kind of a response are you giving to God's word? That's why I call today's sermon the soil test. Okay, that's the M, the message behind one of the observations. And then the A is the application. Now, now that I know the message, what does it mean for me? You know, what if I discover that I'm soil one, two, or three? They're the bad soils. And I want to be soil number four. I want a good response to God's word. 
See, my application is, what do I need to do to get there? What do I need to do personally in my life to put this message into practice? You get it? Good. That's coma. That's coma. And and initially, it'll feel like learning to ride a bicycle, uh, somewhat awkward. But as you do it every day, God's word comes alive, begins to shape your life, have an impact on you. Now, in the time that remains, you know, I want to turn the corner on this sermon and I want to bring the application from Mark chapter 4 home to your life. So the third point that you'll see in your outline today is this. Which kind of soil are you? Okay, which kind of soil are you? Now, open to Mark 4 again. Let me remind you of the four kinds of soil. The first kind of soil, verse 4, some, path, some, some seed fell along the path. Now, the path was packed down earth. The, the, the path would have been around the uh, perimeter of the farmer's field. Maybe there were some paths paths that crisscrossed through the middle of the field. But this is where the farmer walked every day and he trampled down the dirt and it was as hard as granite. When seed fell on the path, it just bounced off and then sat there. And as verse 4 says, the birds came along and ate it. Now, if you you want an explanation, Jesus' explanation of the path is in verse 15. And he basically says... These are people who hear God's word, but they're resistant to it. And so Satan comes and he just sweeps it away. Is this you? You say, well, I'm in church. Well, fine. You you could be in church listening, but not listening. Your, Your heart can be so hard to God's word, so resistant, so unreceptive. You came here because your spouse dragged you or your parents said you got to come or a friend said, please, please, please come with me. And so you're sitting here, but there's no receptivity to God's word. That's the first kind of soil. Second kind of soil is described in verse five. Some fell on rocky places. Now, now you need to understand when Jesus is talking to this first century audience about rocky fields, he's not talking about a field strewn with rocks here and there. He's talking about a field that had an underlying layer of limestone, just a little bit beneath the surface. Now, seed that fell on this kind of soil would initially grow up right away because that limestone layer kept heat, kept warmth, kept moisture in the soil. But it couldn't grow for long. Because sooner or later, the roots tried to push down through the limestone, and of course it couldn't do that, and the sun came out and it scorched it. What is Jesus describing here? Well, if you look at verses 16 and 17, he describes what the rocky places are. You know, the the rocky places, Jesus says, are the hardships, the persecution, the trouble associated with obeying God's word. See, initially some people hear it and they receive it with joy. You start coming to Christ Community Church and you say, I've never heard the Bible taught before. I've never cracked the binding on this book. You know, I grew up not going to church or I grew up in a church where the Bible wasn't taught. This is so exciting. You get in a community group and you're learning stuff. But then you start coming across the hard applications. You know, you come across the passage where Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who abuse you. And you say, no way. Uh, No, not my ex-spouse, not my ornery boss, not my neighbor who's been mean to me. Or God's word has so much to say about money and wealth and how we use it and how the first 10% of every paycheck goes right back to the Lord's work. And beyond that 10%, we're to give generously to the poor. And you say, not with my money. 
No, no, I'm using that to spend on clothes and cars and homes and weekend getaways. And, or God's word talks about sexual morality and it says, hey, sex is a wonderful gift, but God gave it to married couples to be the super glue of their, their married life, not to be exercised outside of the marriage bed. And you say, well, you know, I'm kind of sleeping with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, and I think I'll continue. See, so what happens is your, your roots hit rock, limestone, and you stop growing. You lose your interest in God's word. Maybe your interest in church. Maybe your interest in God. Or perhaps you, you keep coming, and, and you, you still like learning the Bible at a superficial level. You just don't want it to impact your life. You're not ready to make the hard applications. There, there's a third kind of soil that Jesus describes in this parable, and that is the soil that's called among thorns in verse 7. Among thorns. Now, what a farmer did in the first century, if he had a field with scraggly bushes on it, the way he removed the bushes initially was just to burn them down. So the bushes would all be burned down. If he was lazy, that's all he'd do. He'd then go out and sow seed. If he didn't uproot, you know, take the roots out, what would happen? Well, the seed would begin to grow and produce plants, but then alongside of it, the bushes, the scraggly bushes, would begin to grow back, and they would choke out the spiritual life of the plant. Jesus goes on in verses 18 and 19 to tell us what those thorns represent. He says they represent the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. You know, one Bible scholar sums up the thorns this way. I love this. He says they're the competitive forces that keep us from hearing and obeying God's word. What are the competitive forces in your life that keep you from hearing, reading, and obeying God's word. You, you say, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to come more consistently on weekends and learn God's word, but our kids are in traveling sports, and so we, you know, we can make about half of them. Or you say, I'd like to be in a, a community group, but I can't make the time right now because things are really busy at work. I'd li like to be here on Wednesday night for a house group or for Genesis, but I got all this homework that's got to be done. Or I'd like to get involved in serving in some way, serving the body of Christ or serving needy people in our community or going on a go team trip. But I got all this cool stuff in my life I got to use. I got golf clubs and I got a bass boat and I got a season tickets and I got a health club membership and I got this and I got that. And we're talking about competitive forces, friends, that squeeze the spiritual life right out of you. You know, there are only four kinds of seed, soil rather, described in this parable, and only one of them produces a healthy crop. You know, only one of them, the fourth kind of soil, described in verses 8 and then again in 20, only one kind is fruitful. You know, this is the person who makes a priority out of reading and hearing God's word and applying it to their life and and, and when the Bible says that person then becomes fruitful, the word fruitful in Scripture refers to several things. It, it means the fruit of Christ's character gets produced in you. As this book begins to shape your life, your character becomes more and more like Jesus' character. You know, fruit can also mean in Scripture good works. 
You know, as, as God's word transforms your life, you're doing things, you're on mission for God. You're his representative in a lost world. You're finding ways to serve others. Fruit can also refer to people who find Jesus through you. You're sharing the good news about Christ. This is fruitful soil. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, Jesus says in this parable. Is that you? Do, do, do you want it to be you? You know, do you eagerly receive God's word and then watch God produce fruit in your life through it? What kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you? Now, here's the good news, and I close with this. If you're soil one, two, or three, you don't have to stay there. You, you can be soil number four. It's your choice. And here's even better news. The sower in this parable, though never identified, is Jesus himself, obviously so. He's the one who wants to sow God's word in your heart. And so if you determine, I want to be soil number four, the good soil, the fruitful soil, you could turn to Jesus and say, I, I'm going to need your help, and the sower is going to help you become that good soil. As we close today, in just a minute, I'm going to ask our campus pastors to close in a word of prayer. But as we close, let me send you on your way with two additional thoughts here. One is, uh, please don't forget to pick up a Bible-savvy journal and start in the Gospel of Mark this week. Okay, you can get this online as well if you're an electronic person. But let, let me just say this. Don't go online simply to get the Bible reading. Only, only do it online if you're also going to journal online. Because reading this and then walking away, away from it at the beginning of the day, you won't remember what you read by noon. So the journaling is such an important part of bringing it home to application in your life. The second thing I want to say is this. At the bottom of your program notes today, you'll notice uh, a new habit that Clayton and I are beginning to practice starting today. And that is at the end of ser every sermon, we're going to give you three or four discussion questions. So if you want to take the message that you hear on the weekend and bring it home to your family or your circle of friends or your community group, maybe you're a community group leader and you're looking for icebreaker questions, let me recommend whatever your group is studying, use the sermon from the previous weekend as the icebreaker. You know, use it as a way of reinforcing what God taught at the weekend service. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand here in St. Charles and across our four campuses, and we're going to let you go with the word of blessing and prayer. Would you stand with me? When I'm done with the blessing, I will be in the Welcome Center at the back of our auditorium here in St. Charles. If you'd like to say hello, I'd love to meet you. Come on back. And if you'd like prayer, if there's anything going on in your life for which you could use some prayer today, at the back of every zone, there's a prayer person just waiting. So whatever section or zone you're sitting in, go on back there. Whatever the struggle is in your life, say, could you pray for me? And we'd be happy to do that. Now, if you'd like God's blessing, just do one of these, okay? May Jesus Christ, the sower, make the soil of your heart good soil. May he give you a desire to receive it daily. May he water that seed. 
May it produce fruit in your life, the fruit of Christ-like character. May it produce the fruit of good works. May it produce the fruit of people who come to know Jesus through you. May you become a person of God's book. In Jesus' name, amen.